3: Seth Stowes is with us from uh, Twins Daily. He is their Twins minor league expert, and this is our annual minor league update with Seth when he's uh, down here spending his week in spring training. Uh, Seth, the uh, we have a new minor league director, 27-year-old kid, Jeremy Zoll. What's your read on him? Have you had a good conversation with him?
4: I've had two conversations with him, and and I've enjoyed both. Uh, He definitely seems to have a lot of energy. He seems to be really excited about the job, and he's always on his phone.
3: (laughs) What are the new ideas? What new ideas are they bringing? uh, uh, Obviously, they're permeating the rest of the uh, system, and uh, much of the analytics they're doing is focused on the minor leagues, but what, what do you see different?
4: The biggest things are, uh, you know, I just think there's a lot more coordinators, there's a lot more coaches around, there's a lot more activity, um, but also there's a lot more technology. Uh, for instance, I watched a couple of guys throw a bullpen yesterday, and there's a machine there, and a coach was on an iPad, and ev- between every pitch they'd go over the data with the pitchers. So, really? I've never seen that. That was a little bit much. So what
3: are they, They're looking at spin rate right I, then I and spin stuff? Spin
4: and, and uh, drop and things like that.
3: Wow. And... Uh, you know what? I was in uh, Detroit earlier this year, Lake, uh, Lakeland. I went up there and uh, I was watching Chris Bassio work. Now, he's working with the major league pitchers, but it, everything was explained, you know. Like, okay, uh, uh, I can't remember who was pitching, right? Mike Fomer was pitching. Michael Fomer was pitching. He says, okay, he's going to throw you a bigger breaking ball than he's going to throw you during the regular season to the catcher. He says, but well, we're working on him. To throw a bigger breaking ball, and everything is uh, everything is thought out, and, and that's kind of what you're seeing over there?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's all about spin rate, it seems, and, and not only on breaking pitches but on fastballs because, you know, the more
3: spin, the more apparent uh a little run on it's it? Like, yeah. And uh, it is uh, – so, I mean, Brad Style ran it over there for years and had an assistant or two. How many – how many guys is Zoll consulting with when he's running around back there? I mean, how many guys does he have working for him now? I mean, there's a hitting
4: coordinator, there's a new pitching coordinator, there's an assistant pitching coordinator, and this year they brought in a catcher coordinator, yes. which they'd never had before. And it does seem like there's a lot of people with cameras and with iPads and uh, just observing. There's, there's got to be a dozen guys out there at all
3: times. Do you see it, uh, to me, when I watch the Twins go through their workouts – it's what I saw forty years ago. You know, I mean, they're the the it, you take BP and guys are doing this, but do you see while they're just doing their workouts, or is it just all? Pitching effects you see mostly. That,
4: to me, that's where you see it the most. Uh, the rest is, you know, ground balls are ground balls and yes. fly balls are fly balls, yes. situations are situations, PFPs, all of that. Um, they do seem to have a lot of competitions, which I think they've had in the past, but it does look like they're trying to encourage these people, not only their kids, you know, but to, to enjoy what they're doing at work. So,
3: uh, Royce Lewis, uh, the number one from last year, uh, got off to a great start, but he's probably going to open in Cedar Rapids, right? I would think so. Right now he's with the Fort Myers work group,
4: but that's still being made by Toby Yeah, Yeah, That whole group is a lot of talent, and I would think he spends at least a half a season there.
3: I saw him and Kirilov over there the other day, and unfortunately for them, they ran into Brendan McKay, who was pitching for Tampa, (laughs) college kid Louisville what was he fourth overall something like yeah, that the and Tampa, right. the twins uh, allegedly negotiated with him before they took Royce Lewis uh but they were overmatched by him but uh where do you a couple of years ago, I thought they were really in. Once once they started calling up Polanco and Snow and uh, Kepler and that group, that there was really a gap uh, that uh, of prospects there in Double A AA and Triple A. Where where are they, as far as top level prospects who might be here within a year?
4: Well, I think it, it, in that terms, there's a few guys, uh, offensively, you've got Lamont Wade and Nick yeah. Gordon, both who had good spring trainings with the big league club. Uh, but also pitching wise, you've got names like Steven Gonzalez and Fernando Romero and Zach Littell and, and Felix Jorge and Aaron Slagers that we saw last year. But I mean, those are all guys that could contribute this year, along with some bullpen guys like John Curtis and Jake Reed.
3: Is, uh, is, uh, Romero the number one pitching prospect right now or him and him and Gonsalvi's head and head still? You
4: know, they're very similar and you might see one rank just above the other or vice versa. They're so different because Romero throws hard and yes. he throws a slider. He he could be very dominant, whereas Gonsalves is more of the typical prototype for a left hander who's gonna be around for a long time.
3: Now Dougie Mitkievich told me that name that can no longer be mentioned back on the minor league fields. <laughs> But he told me that Gansalvi's number one problem is he didn't like to challenge people. He was he was messing around too many three two counts and stuff like that. I wonder if they're gonna uh, you know they they probably could come at a kid like that with enough data now to say go after people. Romero, we we had him up in uh, in uh, Port Charlotte pitching against the Rays, uh, three perfect innings. He didn't give up a hit in eight innings this spring but uh he, he, he was thrown strike one and uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure that uh I'm sure that that's what they want Gonsalves to do, too.
4: It's important for both of them, but for different reasons. I mean, for Gonsalves, he needs to be fine. He needs to hit corners and get those strikes called because he only throws in the low 90s, whereas Romero, he has a little bit of leeway because he's hitting 96 to 98 with that slider. So um, they're very different, but both have the potential to be in the big leagues this year.
3: Have you been been over there enough this week? You've been here about three days now that uh, somebody they're talking about that they weren't talking about about that much uh, last fall
4: you know it, it's funny because from the 2017 draft class you have royce lewis and brent rooker yeah and Blaine and the three that people talk yeah. about but i've had the chance to see their second round pick landon leach and he is a hard throwing big right hand is he a, throw yeah. he a canadian yeah a canadian yeah and i think he'll probably start it extended because he's a little bit younger and he's he's a little less developed but just watching him throw a bullpen he's he can be scary on the mound how big He's like 6'6", and probably about 240 at least.
3: Really? Oh, I didn't know he was that thick, too. So uh, that's good. Rooker, uh, everybody just thinks he's a hitting and, hit and fool.
4: Yeah, I mean, he, he exemplifies what they're trying to do with the launch angles and the big swings and efficient swings. Um, he's got a lot of power potential, but he can be a good all-around hitter.
3: Is this team going to uh, accept the high strikeout rates? Because uh, Houston... At the big club, uh, they were the prototype of strike it out, hit it out of the ballpark, and they kind of changed that last year, and they wanted these guys to put the ball in play. Where are the Twins headed as a a hitting philosophy, do you think?
4: Yeah, it really seems like the three true outcomes, strikeout, walk, or home run, were kind of a philosophy for a lot of teams. But I think we are trying to see hitters cut down on
3: strikeouts and just make uh, more competitive at bats. Yeah, and... uh, that that I hope so because I I people always say well a strikeout's an out yeah except if there's a guy in first base and you might not have advanced him. and uh, you know that you don't you never advance a runner with a strikeout and advancing runners is why we you play baseball to advance runners now tell me about uh, uh, the uh, the they didn't really change an outsider they didn't really bring in an outsider to be a uh, Joel Skinner they brought in for Triple A cuz Mike Quaddy didn't want to do it but down on the uh, when when they got rid of Matt garbage they just promoted everybody else right
4: yeah Tommy Watkins <laughs> moved up to Cedar Rapids and Toby Gardenhire was promoted from the Gulf Coast League up to Cedar Rapids Ramon barrega was at the GCL he moved up to Fort Myers um you know but other than that there are not a, a lot of new coaches uh, with from from different areas in the system, and including some former players like Luis Rodriguez and yes. Javier valentin has been around for a little while, um, but they are getting new voices in there as well.
3: And it's uh, there. There are, as you say, you go back there, you see so many more people than you saw before. So Triple uh, A is last year. They went through forty-one pitchers. Uh, Stu Cleveron told me forty-one pitchers last last year, and. I, I I, would think now with Rizzy and Lynn and Gibby looking better, and uh, Bar- Barrios, and no matter what happens with that fifth starter, there's no way they're going to have 17 starting pitchers this year.
4: <laughs> if if they do, something's gone
3: terribly wrong. <laughs> Seth uh, uh, Clyburn told me that last year they would be in the sixth or seventh inning, and they'd get a call say, "Don't use Wimmers and Rusinske because we might." If You're something <laughs> if yeah we're an hour they're Rochester's playing an hour before the twins, and if things go wrong, we might have to call one of those guys up. How are the minor leagues, especially triple a, functioning now when uh, they you can't keep up with the they 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 have so many you get all the double headers. They have so many uh, bullpen games. How do, they, how do they maintain a level of competitiveness?
4: It's hard, but I think it's happening with a lot of teams. And, and there's the taxi squad as guys are moving up yep. and down. But they always seem to keep a guy or two on the quote-unquote disabled list um, just in case of those types of situations. <laughs> a guy like uh, Omar ben I think he's a 30-year-old yeah. minor league veteran that they just kind of keep on DLs and have him ready to go wherever they're Yeah, they, that,
3: they, they did that with Nate Hansen a couple of years ago. And he pretty much just quit and went and played with the St. Paul Saints because he got sick of it. And when you look at that, Osta Dio, uh, the catcher here, they did that to him last year at Reno. They put him on the seven-day DL seven different times. Wow. So, I mean, doesn't what's minor league baseball say about that? This, is, well, uh, I, this isn't kosher, is it?
4: No, and it's an unfortunate reality because everyone understands that Getting players to the big leagues is the big thing, but you know they're all limited in, in roster size. I think AAA is twenty-four, and uh, AA is twenty-four, and, and I think twenty-five at the lower levels. So there's only a certain number of players that can be on the roster at any time.
3: Where uh, where where are most of the big picture raiders put in the Twins minor league system right now? Mid mid range or a little below that?
4: Yeah, I think last year they fell because, like you said, so many guys had graduated to the big leagues. They had probably fallen into the bottom half. I would think they're in the top 30 maybe the uh, 7 to 10 range uh, they've got a lot of offense in the lower levels and like I said the, a lot of the pitching talent is in the upper levels
3: what, uh, what young uh, Latin American kid uh, that was uh, like in Gulf Coast League or somewhere is really a kid on the rise that we maybe haven't heard a lot about
4: the, the name that keeps coming up is Bruzdar Grotterall. and Ooh. he had uh, Tommy John surgery after just nine innings in the Dominican Summer League. He came back last year in Instructional League, and he was throwing 100 miles an hour, and, and he's a starter. So, I mean, he's got a chance. Uh, he's very young. I think he's still 19, but he's
3: the name that's popped up a lot. And he'll be in the Gulf Coast League again this
4: he, year? No, probably. in fact, last year well, he moved up to Elizabeth, and I'd expect him to start it extended due to the innings, but I think he'll get up to Cedar Did Apple. they
3: give him some money to sign him? or
4: He was not. He was uh, less than six. Six, six figures uh,
3: signing bonus really well well uh, I know they uh they they're uh, the dominican thing uh the, the the new facility over there they they really like Fred Guerrero a lot and uh, they expect to uh they expect that thing to start cranking out players what's interesting is the Venezuelan thing they basically take these kids to Cartagena Colombia how bad is Venezuela when Colombia is safer? That's what I yeah. want to know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I should really speak on that,
4: but I mean they've done well in Venezuela the last few years. They've been they they've definitely made it more of a focus on on Latin America and signing guys from all over.
3: Yes. Uh, what uh, give me a couple other names to watch?
4: Um, you know, I mean, uh, 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 at Cedar Rapids, a Kilbadoo was a second round pick. A oh yeah, years ago. I saw him hit it over uh,
3: there the other day. Man, he's he's the power speed
4: combination from Georgia. We've heard that before. Uh, Jose Miranda from puerto rico um is he know, a
3: strikeout or a home run guy or no is
4: no he, i think uh, he's got the ability to be an all-around hitter um he he had a good season with a little power at elizabeth lewis. what
3: are they happy with the uh, wander javier's progress i think they're happy with where he's at i know
4: he's battling a shoulder thing right now so uh he's not swinging but i mean he can hit and he should be in cedar rapids it's just going to be interesting to see how shortstop innings are split between wander javier and royce lewis Uh, If they're both there. If they're both there. Is Javier
3: going to be a third baseman?
4: Um, I think more people think that Javier has a better chance to stay at shortstop than Royce Lewis. A lot of people think Lewis might end up in center field. But to me, when they're 19 and 18, it's too early. Yeah, there's no sense in moving.
3: But what you find out is uh, you never have enough shortstops. You know, I mean, you've you keep signing shortstops you're uh, if you can play shortstop you can you can be moved and it's weird i mean people will always say how is this going
4: to pan out well it always seems to work itself out uh, they they traded Jermaine Palacios for Jake Odorizzi, and you know things happen injuries or, or nick gordon may may not move to second base they've got some depth at shortstop which is a good thing
3: and uh, how's twins daily doing
4: twins daily's doing well it's busy this time of year spring training's always fun uh, and uh, people are excited about this team, and, and for good reason.
3: Well, uh, it, uh, they, everybody around here is kind of hanging loose, seeing what the Sano uh, re- uh, situation, how that's going to resolve itself. Uh, they w- it would not be favorable to start the uh, regular season without your shortstop or third baseman, but uh, we- we'll see here in the next couple of days, I guess.
4: Yeah, I think a lineup looks a little different with Miguel Sano and Jorge Polanco in it than it would with Eduardo Escobar and A. Ray Adrianza.
3: <laughs> that's right. All right, hey. Seth, thanks for uh, stopping by. And uh, how, how long before you get to go back to beautiful War Road? I'm
4: looking forward to getting back there on Sunday. Okay.
3: I well, uh, you're going to miss the snowstorm in the Twin Cities on so. Saturday then. <laughs> All right. Seth Stowes, and you can read his coverage of uh, the minor leagues. He's on top of it at Twins Daily. We shall return. This is a ride with race
1: You're on the ride with Roycey.
3: He's an incredible troll. Well, yes. He has
1: cultivated and fertilized his inner troll uh-huh. on 1500 ESPN. And now, Joe and Pat present Sports Talk's Person of the Day.
0: Teague splits the defenders. Teague's got 10 here in the quarter. He's really
4: played well. He's played well in this game tonight.
0: Teague for Taj. And
1: One. Teague gets up ahead of Steve, attacks, and finishes.
0: Shot clock down to five. Teague will let it fly, and he will connect. You are uh, perfecting your inner troll, Manny Hill, by yes. selecting Jeff Teague as the sports person of the day.
5: And, and I especially left that last... Part of the highlight in there of Tibbs screaming in the background switch, purposely. Switch! Yeah!
0: Yeah! Go get him! It is go funny how when you watch a watch a Wolves game, as I was doing last night, you can clearly hear him oh, screaming, yes. especially when the, the possession is on the Timberwolves' side of the bench. Too. It's yes.
5: Very yes. clear. And, and oftentimes, you you can especially really pick out exactly what he's saying, because he'll want Taj Gibson or Gorky Jang to go up and set a screen for somebody, for Teague or for Wiggins or something. You'll just hear, Gee! G, go get him! Yeah. go get him, G. Josh, go get him.
0: So let me ask you a question about yes. Jeff Teague, and I know that uh, you are not. You, I always follow you on Twitter during Wolves games because I love the anti or the, uh, the the the
5: pro Rubio crowd that agitates you. Yes, but let me ask you this question: This is why I have cut back on my tweeting during Wolves games. So
0: basically, this <laughs> turned into they acquired Teague, they traded Rubio, in which they got a first round pick. So yep. everybody's going to connect the these page. two
5: forever. Yep.
0: That all being said, everything being equal, is the acquisition of Jeff Teague still viewed as a good move for the Wolves?
5: I think so, yes, because I think he's overall, I mean, he's had some clunkers and he's had some bad games. And, and, you know, he'll get like the, the game they lost in Atlanta a couple of months ago. He was terrible in his return against one of his former teams
0: because he is a one dimensional
5: player. Yes, he will, he doesn't really give you a lot defensively, but when he's, when he's on, like he was last night, 20 points, 12 assists, uh, four rebounds, he's, he's really good. And, and when he's good, he's, he's attacking the basket more. He's making quick decisions. He's not over dribbling. Um, when he gets into troubles, when, you know, they they walk the ball up slow, and then he's just dribbling. He's not passing, and you know, the next thing you know, you look up. There's five seconds left on the shot clock. He still has the ball in his hands. And he has to hoist up some prayer, and then it's a dead possession. Mm-hmm. Um, but last night he was great at just sort of dictating the, the the tempo of the game, picking his spots, knowing when to step back and shoot, and knowing when to penetrate to the basket. The pick and roll game with Towns was was terrific, and and I wish they would do a little bit more of that. Um, as we get down the stretch of the season, but I think overall he's he's been good. And I will read off a couple of numbers for you. The Wolves have played ten games, Ravers, since the Jimmy Butler injury. Mm-hmm. They're five and five, which is I think about what people thought they would be. Um, in the in these last ten games since the Butler injury, Jeff Teague is averaging seventeen point eight points, seven point five assists. rebounds, and he's shooting 46% from the floor.
0: That's really good. And that's what occurred to me watching the game last night was, you know, Rubio is never going to... I mean, I know he had games where he wasn't scoring 30 points and whatnot, but having a point guard like Teague does soften the blow of losing a player like Jimmy Butler for a a short period of time because he can can score, He he can create his own shot. And, oh, by the way, he can make a shot when he's open, unlike the other point guard that we used to have.
5: Yeah, and Rubio, I mean, Ricky's gone to Utah, and Utah's going to make the playoffs, too, most likely. They're in position right now. uh, I think they're like a half game behind the Wolves right now since they lost last night. And Ricky's had a couple of games where you're like, oh, wow, but he does this every year. Like, around this time of the year, he'll have a couple of good... Hot shooting days, and we're like, man, you know, Ricky's really turned the corner, and he's finally figured out how to shoot. And then he'll go back to going two for ten with like eight points, and he'll have some assists. But you know, I I think for what they want to do offensively, I think Jeff Teague is a better fit for for uh, what they try to do on the offensive end.
0: Fantastic! And with the approval of the mayor, uh, Manny Hill and Joe Sussuri selected the sports person of the day, which was of course Jeff Teague. You yes, did indeed. consult the mayor, so that was good. I did good. consult the mayor, yes. Awesome. <laughs> uh, we're going to step aside a quick moment and come back with the Hockey Half Hour with Jess Myers. You're listening to The Ride with Roycey.
1: Sitting shotgun on The Ride with Roycey. Hold on to your butts. On 1500 ESPN. Give us 30 minutes, and we'll give you everything What is uh, slashing?
3: Slashing is like...
1: Jess Myers now joins the Ride with Royce for this edition of the Hockey Half Hour.
0: Jess Myers in studio with us. Jess, you were at the Don's press conference yesterday,
2: sir. I was there. I was wondering if he would get uh, emotional or choked up at any point. And very briefly he did, just talking about, about his parents. the family. Yeah. yeah, and about you know their kind of inspiration in his
0: life. But he yeah. is done talking, by the way, right? I think he's
2: done he talking. He was long. I've never yep. heard yep. him go that long before. That was uh, a departure. We hadn't seen that in a long time. We only got a couple of, well, you know what, which is like he, how he likes to preface things, too. But, uh, no, nice, nice conversation with him. And... And classy of Mark Coyle, kind of let him go out on his own terms and, and, uh, you know, listed as a retirement. We all know that, you know, there was some pressure on him to make a coaching change. But, you know, giving him that last year of his contract, too, to be a special advisor or whatever he's going to do in the athletic department is about a $300,000 difference than if they would have bought him out. So
0: classy on that front, too. So before we get into who's next for Gopher Hockey, because I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, I just want to talk about college hockey in general at this point, because You know, we we touched on it yesterday because we carried the press conference here, so we were talking about the status of college hockey, and I think the glory days are over, and I don't think we're getting back to filling up Mariucci Arena on Friday and Saturday night for home games, or I said, I was in Mankato when Mankato really first got going, and when the Gophers came to town, it was a big damn deal. Yeah, And I think when Mankato would go play the Gophers at the U of M, a few of us would Put together a couple of bucks and make the trip to Minneapolis. Those days are over. We're not it, and I think the, the the campus attraction is now gone because because so so much of it was regional. That the kids that are going to the U of M, they're not going to make a road trip to Penn State to watch them play. You know, over there. I, I just I think that the glory days are over is I guess the grander point I'm the trying to make The fact
2: that you could drive to most of your conference rivals, you know, not not many people would drive out to Denver and Colorado College when they were in the WCHA, but the fact that you could hop in a car and go to St. Cloud and get some tickets mm-hmm. and the fact that those schools, those those rival schools in Minnesota or, or just across the border in North Dakota would go out of their way to try and prevent Gopher fans from buying season or buying mm-hmm. tickets to those games, that really said something. Now with that said, uh, I thought this was very telling, Don Lucia in his comments yesterday. You know, And he acknowledged, you hear all this, and I'll call it what it is, whining. I missed the WCHA. Why can't we be in the WCHA again? Okay, number one, it's gone. Get over it. It's yeah. not going to happen. Mm-hmm. That, one, that, one, that puck crossed the line. It's not coming back. Number two, Don made this point. Which WCHA do you miss? Because when he played in the WCHA in 1981, here's who was in the conference. Minnesota. Michigan State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, along with North Dakota UMD, some of those regional teams. But he said... A fair point. The WCHA he played in looked a heck of a lot like the Big Ten does Half now. the league is so, the Big Ten now. right? Yeah. So, you know, these are who your rivals are. Get used to it. You're not going to see UMD or North Dakota come in here to play basketball. Uh, very rarely. It's not going to happen. But people go st- uh, still go see for basketball. You know, a lot of your games are on TV. This is just the situation now. Now, to your larger point about the glory days of college hockey being gone, I don't know if... I would characterize it as system wide that that's the situation because college hockey is huge in a lot of markets where it's still the big show on campus. You go to Duluth, you go to North Dakota, you go to Michigan Tech or Northern Michigan, where you know the hockey team is the marquee. Football, basketball, those sports are kind of lesser. So I don't know that it'll ever be what it was. And the Gophers have to compete with so many other things, especially in the winter. You know, and and I still say this too. Don Lucia was successful at Colorado College. Don Lucia, I think, worked a miracle at Colorado College. When I didn't he,
5: realize that, what was it, 96, they got to the title game lost in They were in the championship
2: game in overtime against Michigan. I now, didn't realize that. Let's turn the clock back five years. 1992? Colorado College was a bad college hockey program. It was on the verge of extinction, and it had been bad for 30 years. He came in there, and in one year, he had them winning the WCHA. In two years, he had them in the national tournament. And in three years, he had them in the national championship game. So, you know, as much as he did at Minnesota, which is considerable, his record at Colorado College, I still think, deserves a statue of him out in front of the arena in Colorado Springs because the way he turned that program around. I will say this, though. I've always said this about Don Lucia he's introverted by nature he's not a you know go to the the banquet circuit and and slap hands and that kind of guy and i think they'll look for that in the next coach but because of that nature i think that was one of the things that made the minnesota job More attractive to him after five, six years at Colorado College was number one, it's Minnesota. It's a big name. You can recruit, you can get, you know, uh, guys to answer your phone calls much more so than in Colorado College. But number two, in Colorado Springs, he was the biggest sports personality in that community, which Mm. is a pretty big town. You know, it it got to the point where you couldn't go out to dinner, you couldn't do things with your family without everybody wanting to talk Colorado college hockey with him. And here, you know, people know who Don Lucia is, but it's a much more anonymous atmosphere for a guy, you know, that can live much more of a life in the Twin Cities where, let's face it, gopher hockey is seventh, maybe eighth on the pecking order as far as sports in this town. Um, you know, I think that was a factor for him.
5: At some point, too, the university, because I, I was talking with Judd about this the other day, um, or yesterday, actually, when when Lucia had announced uh, that he was stepping down that the U, they've got to find a way to lower some of these ticket prices yes. for these games because it's yes. it's ridiculous. I I remember trying to go. I told this to Judd yesterday. I tried to go to a game a couple of years ago, and I think it was Notre Dame had came in to Mariucci, and I just wanted to buy tickets because I was you know I wasn't doing anything that weekend, and I figured, hey, i just just go to the game, and the tickets were like eighty dollars or something like that. It's like I'm not. That's ridiculous. That's that's way too much to watch college hockey, all due respect to the sport.
2: For a good decade there, tickets were about 40 bucks a pop. And uh one of my friends in radio would say, "Well, they don't have to do anything with hockey cuz all they have to do is open the doors and they make $400,000 for every home game cuz they, yeah. you know, the tickets were already sold." I think they took advantage of that good nature. They took advantage of that deep fan base and raised ticket prices to an unreasonable rate. You know, they've always had some of the highest in college hockey, but now it's gotten to the point where fans are saying, "You know what? The product's not that good. I don't care about Ohio State and or the Penn popularity State. of
0: the Wild really yeah, crushed the popularity them. Yeah. of the
2: Wild really hurts." I mean, when you come to selling suites and selling corporate mm-hmm. tickets, I mean, again, you know, you, you have to know where you are in the pecking order uh, of sports franchises in the Twin Cities. And I know, you know, the, the recession 10 years ago really hurt. A lot of co- corporations, I know, dumped their Mariucci suites at that point because, you know, money was tight and you have to make a choice. You know, do we want a suite at Target Center or Vikings or whatever? And, and that wasn't a, as popular a choice.
0: So I do want to get your thoughts on who you think is next for the uh, the Gophers uh, head coaching position. So let's do that on the other side of this break. Uh, it's Jess Myers in studio for the Hockey Half Hour. You're listening live to the Ride with Royce. You're along for the ride with Royce.
3: That is some
1: boring radio, boy. I know. On fifteen hundred ESPN, getting you caught up on the weekend pucks. It's the hockey half hour with Jess Myers. A combination that requires the highest level of conditioning, speed, creativity. On the ride with Roycey.
0: Jess Myers in studio for the hockey half hour. I know you covered this extensively yesterday. Is it uh, Bob Mosco, the, uh, the leader in the clubhouse for the uh, next?
2: Wild fans have spent all uh, the last month waiting for Boston University to get knocked out of the playoffs <laughs> so Jordan Greenway can get here sooner. Right. They keep winning games. Now, Gopher fans can do the same thing. They can pray for St. Cloud State to get beat sooner rather than later. Uh, so well, Wouldn't they be I, doing that anyway? Well, they would probably be doing that anyway. <laughs> and I, I mentioned this before. One of the great moments Saturday night NCHC championship game at XL Energy. Center. St. Cloud is getting beat four to one by Denver. There's a minute left in the game. Okay, your team's going to lose, mm-hmm. and I hear this eruption below the press box. I look down; it's ten drunk St. Cloud State fans all cheering wildly because they've just learned the Gophers have been knocked out of the <laughs> NCAA playoffs. So like, yeah, there's there's some good rivalries How there. How were the crowds for the, that? The crowds were okay. Yeah. Uh, they announced about eleven thousand. I would guess nine or ten were actually in the building. Uh, That's not bad. Like like we've gotten used to a lot of it in green because God sure. bless you, yeah. North Dakota fans, sure. you travel, and it was St. Patrick's Day, so I did see some UMD fans and some mm. fans of other schools also wearing green, so it looked uh, a little North Dakota heavier than it was. So maybe. is that
0: kind of a, uh, a prelude for what's going to happen here for the Frozen Four being in town? How do you envision the NCAA tournament kind of shaking out? It's really
2: interesting the way they set up the regionals, because we essentially have the state championship going on in Sioux Falls in that regional. We've got Minnesota Duluth, my old school playing your old school, the Mavs. We'll have to do uh, a little wager here. A little, a little friendly wager in game what, what one. is and that game again that Remind game me. is uh friday evening okay and then the first game is st cloud state versus air force so one way or another, we're going to have a great team coming out of that regional because it's either going to be one of the three Minnesota teams, or it's going to be Frank Saratori and his Air Force team oh, that's who is right. the most entertaining coach, not yes, only college him. hockey. Love him. Yeah, I, I love him too. probably in, Probably in hockey. So uh, that's the way that shakes out, and that'll, that'll be very interesting to see who comes out of that because that will be more or less the home team in St. Paul uh, among who gets here. If oh, you had to handicap that one, who are you picking? I, I can't pick against St. Cloud State. They've just sure. been so deep and so good all year, and you know. Will Borgen went off, uh, their top defenseman went off to the Olympics. Didn't get to see the ice in the Olympics, so he basically got an all-expense-paid vacation to Pyeongchang. And yeah. But part of that was he came back healthy and rested, and all of that, you know, and, and doesn't have to uh, worry about being banged up down the stretch. They're just a very solid team. Now, with that said, they've taken their lumps at XL Energy Center over the years. So I asked Bob Motzko flat out after they lost uh, in the championship game, "Do you like playing in this building?" He said, "Hey, I love this building. You know, yeah, we've had some rough losses there. They have, but they would love to get back here and kind of be the." T- Two hours
0: from campus. That's probably why he likes it. Hour and a half from
2: campus. And keep in (laughs) mind history the last two times the Frozen Four has been at XL Energy Center. The Gophers and the Bulldogs have won it, so we've got a tradition of a Minnesota team coming in here and winning a national championship in St. Paul, and they would certainly like to continue that. As would obviously the Mavericks and the Bulldogs; they would like to do that as well.
0: And you'll be there chronicling the event as you are every year at the Frozen Four. This will be my twenty-sixth Frozen Four. Holy it or not. Twenty-six straight? Tw- not twenty-six straight. Wow. I, missed,
2: I missed a couple here and there back okay. when I was a poor college student and couldn't, you know, <laughs> travel to Detroit and places
0: <laughs> like that. But no, this will be number twenty-six for me, and kind of kind of fun to have a home one too. right, so a couple of minutes left here in this particular segment. Uh, I was in attendance Monday night with my six-year-old son who was attending his very first hockey game. And because of all you hockey psychopaths, guess what I've developed? What have you developed? A six-year-old hockey psychopath. Nothing but good. That's all right he there. wants to talk about you. now. It's but what's fun is. Do you have him on skates yet? You know what? He he didn't like it at first, and this was over a year ago because it was the day we went out. It was brutally cold. It was an yep, outdoor yep, rain. Sure. But now he wants to get back into it, so that's great. But it was a fun game. Uh, I know the Kings had a little bit more urgency on their part, especially towards the end there. But it was a fun game, and I I think we can finally relax. I think the Wild have. Not secured their playoff spot, but they're going to make the season. They've got to season. play
2: about 500 hockey here in the last nine games to be assured of a spot. Now, that's if nothing else breaks breaks right for them. But, uh, you know, the story of the year continues to be Eric Stahl. I mean, yeah. not only having you know a great year by his standards, but he's now three goals goal shy of the franchise single-season single record.
0: That shot he made that that went over Quick's shoulder, oh. that was the most impressive snipe shot I've seen a wild player make, I yep. think, ever. And, that was so impressive.
2: Quietly, too. You know, we always talk about his defense and the minutes he eats up, but Ryan Suter has 43 assists now, which is also a career high and a franchise high. So, you know, good for him. They're getting some uh, big performances from guys that they need, especially with, you know, the Zach Parisi's of the world missing half the season like they did.
5: If you take out the Parisi and Suter signings, which, I mean, kind of change the landscape of the franchise, the stall signing has to be, that has to be Fletcher's best move since he's since he's been the GM, right? I mean, just because of how good Eric Stahl has been
2: for a guy that they thought was on the tail end of his career, and everybody mm-hmm. questioned, you know, not only how much he had left in the tank, but how much stamina he would
5: have to play a. Because he was just supposed to be like just kind of a complementary piece to what everybody else was doing. Right?
2: Absolutely, you know, it was looked at kind of like the Matt Cullen signing of Yeah, nice thing to do for a guy on the tail end of his career, and the way he has it's stepped up fantastic. and and the stamina he's had has just been incredible. I got to mention one more guy too, and since we're talking NHL, Ryan Donato. How about this Monday and Tuesday for you? Rookie from Harvard signs with his hometown. Bruins on Monday, plays his first NHL game, gets a goal and two assists in his NHL debut, and Tuesday morning he's back at Harvard because he's still got class to go to. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) almost like the Blake Besser story from last year (laughs) when he Whenever his season ended, they they sent him right to the XL. He was yep. in skates, and then he scored a goal in his first game with Vancouver. So not, a,
2: not a bad little debut debut for a Boston-area kid to play for the Bruins.
0: One bad uh, take that I uh, formed, they really missed Spurgeon Monday night. Yes. They really missed. And you could notice it, too, on the back end, because God love him, Matt Dumba is what's going to end up costing them a playoff game, because he's such a knucklehead on the ice. He's, he's one of those guys where you, you know... Every time he's on the ice, something
2: amazing is oh, going to happen, either good or bad. Right. He's got that incredible slap shot. He's got so many offensive instincts, and he is such a defensive liability. It's just scary every he time. He does he's out play
0: there. more responsibly, though, when he's paired with Suter. Yeah. At, at least oh, I, yeah. that's just my ignorant and opinion. And by the but, way,
2: looking at the odds, you know, it's good that they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, still about a 50% chance that they play the Winnipeg Jets, which would be fantastic, but the odds are getting better that they could open against Vegas in round one. Don't they mm. want that?
0: Don't they want that more than playing Winnipeg? I
2: would definitely think you want to open against Vegas because, uh, number one, you know, road trips to Vegas. you know, Who doesn't like that? That's a better
5: matchup for them. But, no, yeah, number and, two, and they're
2: just better. They're 3-0 and against yeah. Vegas this year, and you've got a Vegas franchise, obviously, that's never been there before versus a, a wild team that's getting pretty good at getting to the playoffs. The other great news this week, speaking of the playoffs, yeah. the Blackhawks, they're out! They're eliminated, Are they finally! Eliminated? First time in a decade we don't wow, have to deal with Chicago wow. in the
0: playoffs. So, But you do have to deal with Nashville. Nashville's the best team right now. Nashville is very good, right? In the Nash- NHL,
2: Na- and and the Wild play them, you know, twice here in the in the coming week, home and home, essentially. So that'd uh, be
0: kind of a fun series. Well, you'd want that in the second round. You'd want that in round two. You know, yeah.
2: nobody wants to face Nashville in round one. Yeah, they're ju- they're just too good.
5: Gotta right avoid now. them like the Houston Rockets or Warriors right yes, now, basically. Exactly. So uh, if
0: you picked it today, is it uh,
2: Nashville and Tampa in the finals? I, those are the two best teams, and they've both clinched already. But uh, watch out for Boston. They're sneaky good, and they're uh, they're sneaking up at the right time too. And Keep in mind, too, you don't want to be one of the two best teams going into the playoffs because that team never seems to make, uh, make it to the Stanley Cup Finals.
5: Well, I'm a closet Tampa Bay Lightning fan. have been for about okay, uh, two years. No, seriously. I'm well, kidding. When the, when the North Stars <laughs> left, I needed a team to pull there for, and the Lightning, the Lightning were that team. I used to love Chris Grattan back in the day. So I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it if they get to, back to the finals. Good, Good stuff.
0: Yeah. All right, we'll step aside for just a quick moment and come back with a preview of the great outdoor show. You're listening to the Hockey Half Hour right here on The Ride with Royce.
1: Sitting shotgun on the ride with Roycey. It's ugly and getting worse by the second. On 1500 ESPN.
0: What is coming up on the Great Outdoors, sir? I like spreading good news. Don't you like good news? We, eh, we, it depends on the day we, we've got like none of it we've, we've got nothing uh, as a uh, guy who just took two hours of phone calls about Donald Trump during garage logic <laughs> I welcome any news other than that so yes. what's
2: Donald Trump doing now I haven't seen him since he had those books back in the 80s what's coming up by the great okay. outdoor?
0: No, I'm just kidding
2: <laughs> um, we're gonna talk about chronic wasting disease which is a growing concern in Minnesota it's uh, it's a big problem in Wisconsin and it's moving this way it's it's a problem growing problem now in southern Minnesota and people are afraid it's going to keep moving north it's a disease that 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 deer get that affects them and can mm-hmm. wipe out deer herds. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. We got some bad news for Malax this week. It looks like it's, I thought we had good news from Malax. Eh, it looks like it's going to be just catch and release on walleyes again oh. this summer. So we're going to talk about. But isn't uh, that. that still
0: better than what the situation we were in last summer? Well, it's better than shutting it down altogether that's, that's as what a fishery. I mean. But okay. you
2: know, it still really affects the resort business there. And then you know, I work over at the state capitol some. Uh outdoors news is big over there because that's where the policy gets made. So we're going to have a friend, Gary Botzyk, on. He's been a longtime lobbyist over there working on conservation issues to talk about, you know, what it's like, uh, you know, lobbying and working on legislation that affects guys who hunt and fish and, and you know, families that want to get out and hike and all of that.
0: Those are guys that
2: just basically don't want to be home, right? Oh,
0: yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. I mean, Garrison Keillor said this a long time ago. <laughs> Fishing, he said, I don't think it's a big secret. It's a way to get away from women.
0: Oh, you know, I, I forgot to ask you, so that's all coming up on The Great Outdoors. Yes. Uh, you didn't give me your lock for the, uh, I know you gave me your St. Cloud coming out of that region, but you didn't give me a lock for the NCAA tournament. Who watch you think going to win it all? Watch out
2: for Denver, man. Really? They, we, we thought they would be uh, one of the great all-time college hockey teams this year. They stumbled a little bit in the regular season. But, man, they look good right now. Didn't they
0: win it last year?
2: They won it last year. They were in the Frozen Four two years ago. Yeah, they beat my Bulldogs in the championship game last year. That's right. And uh, as as much as I hated to see that, the best team won, and and they're really good this year again.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Jess. Uh, More of that coming up on the Great Outdoors show right after this top-of-the-hour break. If you missed any portion of the Ride with Royce, check out the podcast that Manny is working on furiously right now at 1500ESPN.com.
6: Patrick will be back tomorrow. Until then.